morning. So if you got a Bible, we're in First Chronicles, First Chronicles chapter 17. So about halfway through the Old Testament, um, past Kings, past First Samuel, past First Kings, First Chronicles 17 is going to be our opening text today. We're going to read verses 16 through 27. Uh, familiar scripture. It's also found in First in Second Samuel. You'll probably recognize it. Maybe more from that uh, from that book, but same account. First Chronicles 17, verse 16 through 27. We'll go ahead and read and let God's word have the center of our attention. Verse number 16. If you found your place, it says that then King David went in and sat before the Lord, and he said, "Who am I, O Lord? And what is my house that you have brought me this far?" And yet this was a small thing in your sight, O God. And you have also spoken of your servant's house for a great while to come and regarded me according to the rank of a man of high degree, O Lord God. What more can David say to you for the honor of your servant? For you know your servant, O Lord, for your servant's sake and according to your own heart, you have done all this greatness in making known all these great things. O Lord, there is none like you, nor is there any God besides you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. And who is like your people Israel, the one nation on the earth, whom God went to redeem for himself as a people, to make for yourself a name by great and awesome deed, by driving out nations from before your people, whom you redeemed from Egypt." For you have made your people Israel your very own people forever, and you, Lord, have become their God. And now, O Lord, the word which you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house, let it be established forever and do as you have said. So let it be established that your name be magnified forever, saying, The Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, is Israel's God. And let the house of your servant David be established before you. For you, O my God, have revealed to your servant that you will build him a house. Therefore your servant has found it in his heart to pray before you. And now, Lord, you're God and have, you are God and have promised this goodness to your servant. Now you have been pleased to bless the house of your servant and that it may continue before you forever. You have blessed it, O Lord, and it shall be blessed forever. Now, we are in week number two of this new series called Updates. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, an update came to every one of us, and the update was called 2020. And much like what may pop up on your phone every once in a while or on your computer or some other device that you have, a, a, updates come at us from every different angle in our world today. Now, most of us in the year 2020, we're familiar with the idea of a software update. Like I said, your phone updates, your TV updates, your computer updates, refrigerators even update now. Maybe you have one of those, right? That'd be cool to come check out. But everything updates in our world today because nothing is ever good enough, it seems. Nothing's ever finished. There's always room to improve and refresh, refine, and offer a better version of something. It may have been best until the update comes along. It can be even better. Even if you were satisfied or weren't really expecting or interested in an update, that's just how technology works, isn't it? It always wants to update. But it's really not a new idea. It's really not a technolo- uh, an exclusive to technology kind of idea. It's just how life works, isn't it? I mean, ready or not, interested or not, life updates all of the time. And sometimes the updates that life brings us are better than before. Sometimes they're worse. Sometimes they're weird. Sometimes they're difficult, right? Sometimes the, the, the things that come our way, uh, we, 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 know, we were, could see coming from a mile away, and other times we, we never could have saw them come, and they blindside us, don't they? 
Something that's, that's going to be out of style for a minute, maybe a part of the new update for this year. Something that's going to be around for ages may come. Life is constantly updating. We may not use the term to talk about what a new decade or a new year or a new day brings our way, but essentially it's the same thing, the same idea. Sometimes we have room for these updates, other times we don't. Sometimes we don't have the time, other times we just feel like there's just not a place or a way for them to work in our life. But that does not stop time from pushing them our way. The updates of life keep coming, they keep pushing our way, it's just how the world works. Our, we get older, right? Our health goes one way or the other. Things change whether we want them to or not. Some of us are a little bit uh, quicker to adapt than others. Uh, some of us, we're more open than others, right? There are bound to be updates that we welcome this year. There are other updates that we'll probably dread and never accept. It's like hairstyles, right? Or clothing trends. Some of you embrace new styles and you instantly regret it, right? You ever bought an outfit you thought, man, this is going to be great, and then it goes out of style and you're the only one left wearing it, and you're thinking, wow, I didn't, I actually am just wearing this as a joke. Some of us, right, we latch on to a style and we wear it or we keep it far longer than we should. Um, but that's just kind of how society works, right? There's some updates that we cling to, others that we just can't wait to see them pass away. In week one of this series, we talked about how we often can feel under pressure by the updates that life throw our way. Um, there are a lot of things that come at us we're just not prepared for, right? Maybe you weren't prepared for what was going to come to you last Monday or last Tuesday or what's going to come to you tomorrow, right? Sometimes we're just not prepared for what life has in store for us. We're not equipped for what life has in store for us. Other times we're just not interested in it, right? We just want things to stay the way they are, right? We want to be the same age, the same health. We want to do the same things forever. But again, that's just not how it works. Ultimately, we decided that God is the one who turns the clock, right? God is the reason it's 2020. He's the reason you're a year older. He's the reason you're going to face whatever you face tomorrow. He's the one who ultimately pushes these updates our way or allows them to come, right? And if he introduces them, if he authors them, they must be for our good or he must can use them for our good, right? We looked at the story of Abraham, a man who found himself in the middle, at the center of this budding redemption story. The entire future of the world was on his own shoulders. As you could imagine, the pressure mounted and got a little bit overwhelming for him after a while. He made a lot of mistakes as he bore this, this responsibility of bringing in the nation that would redeem the creation of God. He had a lot of pressure on his shoulders. He made some mistakes. He stumbled under the weight of all these expectations. And God reminded Abraham it wasn't his burden to bear. It was just his to receive and to trust. That he didn't have to remain under this crucial pressure. Abraham learned the secret of handling the updates that life brings our way that we might not have room for or we might not be able to handle or feel like we're made for. The secret is to trust in, to turn on the power of the clouds, to trust in the power of the cloud. As in, rather than being under pressure, we can come under God's power, under heaven's power. We can sink up to, we can connect to, we can bow before the power of God, seeking Him, trusting in Him for guidance and strength. So no matter what life brings our way, we will be prepared for it. We will be able to handle it. Now, we won't always have time, room, or the way 
But God controls time. He can make room. He is always the way, right? So when you don't have time for something or don't have room for something or you don't see it working out for you, it's just not going to be feasible for you. You didn't expect it. You didn't want it. You didn't ask for it. But that doesn't mean the doctor doesn't tell you it's going to happen. And that doesn't mean that life's just not going to bring it your way, right? It doesn't matter if we don't have time or don't have room or just don't see it being a way for us. God controls time. God can make room. He is always the way. So what may seem impossible, God can make possible. Through the power of the heavens, through the help of God. Now, no doubt, there are going to be some updates that come your way that seem impossible. And you're going to look yourself in the mirror. You're going to look at somebody that you love. You're going to look at a situation in front of you, and you're going to wonder, how is this even possible? How could God even expect me to deal with this? With God's help, Nothing has to be impossible. All things can be and are possible with God. You may feel the pressure of life right now, but that pressure can be turned into power, right? That pressure can be channeled. God's power can be channeled through that pressure, through that scenario. You have to trust in Him. He's the one that brought it to you. He's the one that can bring you through it. Now, This week, we're going into an opposite direction. I wanted to repeat all that stuff just to encourage you in case the next part of this doesn't so much encourage. Uh, We're going to go in the opposite direction. Now, again, last time, that was very comforting. I I really got some help from that. I hope you did as well. Uh, Today is a little more challenging, but I still think it's comforting. I think we'll walk away feeling better than feeling worse, but we'll see how that works out. Rather than talking about the update of pressure that might come our way this year, I want to talk about the updates of privilege that are no doubt to come our way this year. Let's just be frank. We live in the most privileged country in the world. Uh, And for a demographic like ours, and really for anyone in this country, but let's just talk about us today in in Lincolnton, North Carolina, and kind of the heart uh, of of the Bible belt that we're in, and in a a pretty well-to-do economy as we are in our world today. And even with a bad economy, America's doing pretty pretty well compared to everybody else, right? We live in a world, we live in a country that is so much better off than the rest of the world, and the opportunities that will be afforded us in this country in this year are way above anybody else's situations and, and more most parts of the world. The privileges of this year will far outweigh the pressure. You could even say the pressures that we face as Americans are privileges, right? That it's a blessing to be able to deal with the pressure of being an American. It's very important for us to remember in an election year, and very important before you turn on cable news of any extreme and listen to what they have to say or what they have to tell you to worry about. We as Americans, the, pre- the privileges we deal with far outweigh the pressures. Now, things we get to stress out about as, a, as Americans, other people in other parts of the world would love to worry about, right? Uh, again, I know it's all relative. I'm not trying to say that the things we worry about aren't real to us. Uh, but, but whereas we worry about an election, other countries and other people would love to have the opportunity to vote, right? We worry about which way democracy will take us. Other people would just love to have democracy, right? I mean, we worry about medical bills. Many in our world would love to have medical attention, right? I mean, we, we worry about trying to juggle our families, our jobs, our education, our hobbies, right? And many in the world never get to know what a hobby is. They never know what education is, right? And, and they work in conditions that are far more extreme than what we ever face, right? We get overwhelmed trying to balance our plans and our obligations, but many live in countries where they would love to have freedom at all, right? 
So again, I'm not trying to downplay in the struggles that you might face this year. I'm just wanting to say, no matter what kind of pressure they bring, that pressure as an American is still a privilege. And I know that might not make you feel better, but I want to put that in perspective for you today. I want us to kind of understand that, and I think God wants us to understand that. For most of us, most of the updates that will come our way in 2020 will be privileges, and this is where faith is so important. It's where faith in a relationship with God is so, so, so crucial. So please, please hear this. You see, privilege, the very definition of the word privilege, is a blessing, an advantage, an immunity. An immunity means something that buffers you between what most people experience, right? It's, it's, an, it's a leg up on most everybody else. Regardless of how you see the world, how you understand life, the very notion and nature of privilege brings with it an internal sense of alt a sense of awareness. Jesus told a parable one time about the end, about eternity. And when Jesus told parables about eternity and about the end, he always would leave them very open-ended. He would always leave them or end them in a very abstract way that would get people asking more and more questions, and he never would answer the questions. He told a parable one time about the difference in eternity for those who had lived a life of privilege and those who had lived a life of misfortune and, 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 and uh, lack of things that most people uh, take for granted. And at the end of that parable, Jesus just kind of leaves it like this. Everyone to whom much was given of him, much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they, who's they? He doesn't answer. They will demand the more. So Jesus says, I know this goes on in your heart. That when you've been given a lot, and what's a lot, I know it's, it's, it's relative. But when you've been given much, when you've been given a lot, there is something inside of us that says, I'm required to do much with it. When we've been entrusted a lot, there's something inside of us that says, hey, there's, there's a demand for me to do more. There's something about that statement that as believers who know there's more out there, we aren't just in a bubble. We also know that there's something after this life. There's something that, 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 that this sense of all enlarges to. And for most of us, privileges are normal, Right? It's our standard. We've grown up in a country in an era where privilege is expected, where privilege is an entitlement, right? And listen, only bitter, unhappy people would resent or decry this for any generation. This is awesome and it's great, and I hope every generation to come has it better than the previous generation, right? I don't want someone to have to pay $3,000 for a VCR, right? Like, I didn't have to, but somebody did right back in the 80s. That was a really, you thought, wow, I'm really, this is going to last me forever, and then you don't even know where it is anymore, right? I'm glad that it's easy to access stuff, whereas maybe years ago it was more expensive, right? I'm glad that some burdens are alleviated, and I hope that they continue to be alleviated for generations to come. But I feel like our society, and I feel like our world is at such a crucial point in history where if we don't stop and recognize our privilege, our privilege may wreck us. You hear that? If we don't stop and realize our privilege, our privilege might ruin us because privilege isn't normal. Privilege is not promised. The ruin of privilege is far and much worse than the ruin of pressure. Unresolved pressure might hold you back, but unrecognized privilege will set us all back. What I mean by that is if we've been dealt privilege in this life, we don't, and if we don't acknowledge it and don't understand what we're required to do with it, then we are not progressing, but we're regressing. And you say, what if I don't know? What if I don't realize I've got privilege? And I, you know, Listen, that's what the church is placed on the earth for, to call out and reflect God's truth, to show us our true purpose and the true purpose of all the updates that life brings us. 
left alone, especially in our country, we will become spoiled, entitled, and awful people to be around. And honestly, we wouldn't be around for too long. This is why God's Word speaks so clear on this, to keep us from becoming so drunk with privilege that we miss out on what God is actually trying to do with us and do through us. Privilege isn't some secret curse or burden. It's a beautiful God-given opportunity. Hear me very clearly. And it's not that God wants to take it away. God wants those of us who have privilege to know why we have privilege. You hear that? God doesn't want to take it away from you. He doesn't want to say, well, you should feel bad for having it. He just wants you to know why you have it. What your true purpose is and what its true purpose is. And here's the thing. It's very important. How we respond to the privileges of life determines so much about where we're headed. Because we're all headed somewhere, aren't we? And what we do now will impact what happens next and who we are next. How we respond to today's privilege determines if there will be any of it tomorrow and what kind of person we will be in the future. That's why this is such a big deal. Here's how I know this. America is not the first wealthy country to ever be established on planet Earth. We are not the first generation that is light years ahead of the rest of the people on the planet. Dozens of kingdoms and generations have rose and fell throughout history. And the end of their stories are usually almost always a tragic, ruinous tale of unrecognized, unleveraged, and misused privilege. Come on. Why is it that history is full of stories, accounts, and reports, real records, of underdog tribes and nations overthrowing, dividing, and conquering, and usurping kingdoms and empires that should have never fallen? Why is it that the stories that we read in history are underdog, smaller countries taking over the ones that looked like they would last forever? Why is it that the mighty fall so far and so hard? Maybe you've never thought about it before. And I wouldn't either if I were you. I get paid to think about this stuff. And it can be kind of a bummer. Kind of a down note to sleep on. But it's only a bummer if you'd rather believe the lie that society and culture tries to tell us. That we shouldn't give fault to the privilege that we have. That's, that says, I should just consume and take and spend and hoard and revel in my good fortune against what the world may have, what history suggests, that I'm the outlier, not the rest. History, and I'll go deeper to say, eternity begs for me to consider my privilege and put it in perspective and not get lost in the updates of privilege and think, well, I just want more and more and more and I'm glad that everything's so good for me and maybe not for others, but it's not my problem. Rather than put in perspective before it puts me on a record. Now, the reason why I got thinking about all of this is I've been reading through the Old Testament to prepare for this series, prepare for this New Year's uh, run of messages. And one of the biblical accounts that got my attention, that really began to get me thinking about this idea and this conversation, is uh, the, the Scripture's account of the rise and the fall of ancient Israel. All throughout history, all throughout the Bible, there are stories of the mighty fallen unexpectedly. Good, godly people who lost the plot and went from blessed to distressed in a minute. There are so many accounts that speak to this. And as I've been reading the Old Testament, one particular story of one particular family got me thinking and inspired this conversation. So jump back in time with me. We've already opened your Bible to that time period. Around 1000 B.C., as the kingdom of Israel was just getting started... 
after Moses and Joshua and Caleb established the nation, as judges were set in place to rule the nation, God was their king. His law was the stand-in for a king. One nation under God, governed by law, a perfect model and a unique model. A model that Israel didn't want. They wanted a king. They wanted to be like the rest of the world. So their last ruling judge, Samuel, warned them, if you get a king, he will take and take and take and take. And not only will he take, he will, he will influence every one of you to be takers as well. And as the king led and lived, the nation would follow. And it wasn't that Israel wasn't already blessed. They were. God warned them of losing sight of their blessings but, as, but with a king, they would never think about their privilege. They would only think about what they were entitled to next. Unless the king constantly pointed and gave place to God, the king would drift into and assume the place of God over the nation. And Israel's first king followed this very path. Saul became drunk with power and privilege. He demanded more, he took more, and he created a nation of takers and wannabe dominators. A nation... Blind to its own privilege, on a crash course to its end, leveraging everything for themselves, entitled and expecting more. They were living the Israeli dream. And they were God's people, by the way. God intervened, though. He brought a young boy named David into the picture. David was a shepherd boy who played a mean harp. He was brought in to play, uh, to soothe Saul's raging ego. Saul loved David. He gave his daughter to David today and to Mary. He made David the prince of the kingdom. The nation fell in love with David much more than they loved Saul. And Saul became jealous of David's charm. He was insecure and branded him a fugitive and exiled him from the kingdom, just like that. David went from rags to riches back to rags within a few years. And the first few years on the run, David became bitter. He became confused. He made a lot of mistakes. At one point, he found himself holding on to his identity of privilege more than his identity that preceded that. The shepherd boy after God's own heart. David saw himself in the mirror becoming the next King Saul. And David quit fighting and accepted that God's plan was best, even if it meant exile. Things shifted in David's favor. Eventually, Saul's house turned inside out on itself. The elders of Israel came begging for David to be their next king and their first united king who would lead them to God. David vowed to be a different kind of king. And in our opening text, we got a glimpse of David's heart where he sits before God as he was just made king, where he says, Who am I, O Lord? Who am I and what is my house that you have brought me this far? How in the world did I get here? I don't deserve it, God. And I want to, if you read that prayer over and over again, what I gather from David's heart is he doesn't want to waste this opportunity. He realizes he's been given a position, he's been given a privilege that is not normal, is not to be expected, and not to be taken for granted. He wants to wear the crown well. He wants to walk in these shoes well. And shouldn't we all? Who am I, O Lord? And what is my house that you have brought me this far? God, who is like you? You have given me this place, this privilege, and I want to use it well. I don't want to lead the nation in the wrong direction. He lived from this place. He led the nation from this place. I want to show you a story that became popular about David after he died. David would have never wanted this story told, but his generals and his friends began to tell this story, um, and I'm glad it was recorded. But listen, get another glimpse of David's heart. 
Three of the thirty chief men went down and came about harvest time to David at the cave of Adullam when a band of Philistines were encamped in the valley of Rephaim. David was then in the stronghold, and the garrison of the Philistines was then at Bethlehem. Now, here's the, here's the story. David is on the battlefield fighting as the general, as the commander-in-chief of his army. David is in a stronghold surrounded by a, an army of the Philistines. Meanwhile, another band of Philistines are, are, encro- are encroaching, are surrounding his hometown of Bethlehem. And David's heart begins to break. David loved Bethlehem. He had so many memories there. His family was there. And the next statement is more of just an expression of David's sentiment toward Bethlehem than actually a request. But listen to this. David said longingly, all that someone would give me water to drink from the well of Bethlehem. David says, I I love my hometown. The water there is better than anybody else's water. It's just a reservoir. It's a resource of all the good things I've ever come to know. I pray that my hometown is safe. I pray that my family is safe. God, please, 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 all that I could just taste the water from that well one more time. But here's the thing. Kings in the ancient world were absolute monarchs. If they said something like this, and you were a, a general or you were part of their group, you did exactly what they said, even if they didn't mean it literally. That if, you're, if a king said, hey, I want something, you went and got it, because he might kill you if you didn't go get it. Now, David wasn't that kind of king, but the way the world was wired, the way the people were wired, the way Saul had trained them, if a king says, I want something, you do whatever you got to do to get it. Now, get this. Then the three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines, drew out water out of the well that was by the gate, and carried it to David. Hey, excuse me, pardon me. We're not here to fight you. We just need to get some water for the king because he's thirsty. What? Aren't there other wells? Yeah, there's other wells. But the king said he wanted water from the well of Bethlehem. He's a little boy. He grew up here. He loved this water. We think this is crazy, but hey, we're in his army. He said, I need something, so we went to get it. Now, that's kind of wild and crazy, but you could imagine it happening, right? They carried it and brought it to David. Now, get this. But he would not drink it. Well, I, I thought you wanted some water, David. I, I, what? He poured it out to the Lord. Far be it from me, O Lord, that I should drink. I should do this. Shall I drink the blood of the men who went at the risk of their lives? Don't you see David's heart in that story? Who am I, O oh Lord? I don't deserve this privilege. I'm not going to waste or take advantage of this privilege. And the men thought he was serious. They went and risked their lives and brought him some water out of the well from his hometown. And David says, yo, 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 this is too good for me. I can't drink this. He pours it out as an offering. Most of us, If our cups are full, we're going to drink every last drop, aren't we? Right? Somebody gives you an all-expense-paid trip or gift card or whatever, you're going to spend every last bit of it because why wouldn't you? When the privilege is full, we're going to use every bit of it. If your plate is full, you're going to eat every last bit. I don't blame you. If our cups are full of privilege, why would we not take advantage of every last drop? David set a radical example that we should do well to follow through on. Whether he intended his men to actually get him some water or not, that wasn't the case. He was that powerful. They did what he said. He had that sort of privilege within his reach at all times. But David refused to drink all the privilege that was in his cup. 
And listen, it was his cup. He was the king. He didn't have to ask anybody, have I took advantage of too much of my privilege? Have I done too much? Have I, have I spent too much? He was his. He owned it all. He was the absolute monarch. He was as God in their midst. David said, I can't drink it. Now, who would be that crazy to not drink all the privilege in that cup? Isn't that the dream? To always have a full cup and as soon as you use it all up, you just get it back full again? Isn't that the dream? I mean, don't lie. God knows your heart. God knows my heart. I want it full, overflowing, and running. I want all of it, right? And there's a Bible verse that probably tells me that I can get it that way if I turn it sideways and believe it enough, right? But David said, even though it was in my cup, I am not going to consume it all for me. He wanted to honor God and serve His people with it. David, you're crazy! David would say, do you think I'm the only king on earth right now? But all these years later, how many kings from 1000 B.C. are we talking about? David, more than anything, longed for this to be the heartbeat of Israel. He wanted this to be his legacy. And David saw the end of his reign coming. This is what he preached over and over again to his son Solomon. Flip over to the end of the book, chapter 29. And I want you to hear the last time David ever addressed the nation, whether he knew this was going to be the last time or not. Listen to David as he addresses the nation, as he addresses his son once more, speak from this place, this heart of wanting to honor God. Chapter 29, verses 10, David says this before the assembly. Blessed are you, O Lord of Israel, you, our Father forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, and the glory, the victory, and the majesty for all that is in heaven and in earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord. You are exalted as head over all. So here is the king of the people, the absolute powerful king of the people. And he gets in front of them for the last time and says, I am not in charge. This is not mine. You are not mine. It all belongs to God. And if I've done anything as king, it's I hope I've pointed your attention to the one who rules above us, whose we are. Both riches and honor come from you. You reign over all, and your hand is power and might, and your hand is to make great and give strength to all. Now therefore, O God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. And who am I and who are my people that we should be able to offer so willingly as this? For all things come from you, and of your own we have given to you. For we are aliens and pilgrims before you, as were our fathers. Our days on earth are as a shadow and without hope. O oh Lord our God, and all of this abundance that we have prepared to build you a house for your holy name is from your hand and is your own. I know also, my God, that you test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness. As for me, in the uprightness of my heart, I have willingly offered all these things. And now with joy I have seen your people who are present here to offer willingly to you. O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers, keep this covenant and intent of the thoughts of the heart of your people. Fix their heart towards you. And give my son Solomon a loyal heart to keep your commandments and your testimonies and your statutes to do all these things to build the temple for which I have made provision. So what is David's heartbeat? 
He has done it all. He has tried his best to set this standard. And his one request is that Solomon doesn't waste the opportunity in front of him. Because David knows, as Solomon goes, all the people will do. Solomon was his heir apparent. He wanted so badly for Solomon to have his privilege and opportunity framed in the proper perspective. David had other sons, two of which died tragic deaths, another that couldn't be trusted with power, tried to steal a throne already. David appointed Solomon a teenager to be the next king. David left behind for Solomon tons of resources, plans, maybe most of all, a heart of wisdom. This desire that he would handle and leverage his privilege well. Use his privilege for good, not allow his privilege to use him. When Solomon found himself rushed into office, far younger than anticipated, just shy of 20 years old, David, barely past 70, had passed away. Solomon knew he was in over his head. Everyone around him knew it too. Solomon had so much advice from David, so much truth. David wrote to Solomon that Solomon would write later on to his own sons. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Guard or keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. He wrote, ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or the left. Turn your feet away from evil. He sought the Lord. He asked for even more truth and more wisdom, but this couldn't make the battle within his heart any easier. Just like all the truth in the world doesn't make our battle any easier. And here's the reason I think we struggle with this so much. See, we're not on a truth quest. We're on a happiness quest. We don't wake up every day saying, I wonder if I can find some truth. We wake up and do most of the things that we do because we want to be happy. We want to have a good life. And that's okay. That's great. That's being a person. We will jettison truth in a minute if it, means that if it seems that there's happiness to be found and experienced somewhere. Our flesh is like that, isn't it? We usually follow our privilege headlong, drinking all this in the cup without giving thought to what else it may have been given to us for. You see, privilege has a way of capturing our attention while also blinding our vision. You see that? You know why Solomon spent his older years writing many proverbs about guarding your heart, about pondering the path of your feet? Because he was so guilty not doing those things as a kid when he became so overwhelmed with his privilege. See, Solomon never intended to let privilege get the best of him. He paid more attention to his privilege than his purpose, though. He never intended to lose the will, lose the, the control, but he just paid more attention to his privilege than his purpose. And we all know this. Attention, not intention, determines direction. If you intend on going somewhere, but your attention is somewhere else, you're not going to head there. Direction, not your intention, determines your destination. Solomon ended up far from where he wanted to be, intended to be, and with him the whole nation fell victim to entitlement and privilege. His own children split the kingdom in half because they found themselves in their privilege forsaking their God-given identity and purpose. Solomon realized after it was far too late what his dad was trying to teach him. Privilege needs to be put in its place before it removes us from our place. Privilege is good, but it's not God. We belong to God not privilege. Privilege at its best is meant to be leveraged for our eternal purpose. See, whatever privilege we have today, 
is meant to complement our true purpose and identity, not compete for it. Because our true identity has far more to do with who we are than what we have or where we are at. Privilege has a way of distorting value. Value has nothing to do with what we have. It has to do with who we are, whose we are. David knew that his greatest privilege was being a child of God. David introduced this concept to the world, calling God his Father. Jesus made this the basis for his ministry, in which and wherein he instilled value to every single person. And Jesus had plenty to say about the things that often compete for our focus and our attention. Jesus gave radical commands with regard to privilege that causes us to stumble or competes for our purpose. Jesus said if we find identity in our privilege, it'd be better to lose the privilege than lose your soul. He said this, If your hand, as in what you got in your hand, the privilege, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands go to hell. If your foot, if your superior stance, if your superior vision, the way you see the world, the way you have it in the world causes you to stumble, it'd be better to go into life with less of you than none of you. That's why Jesus often said, sell it if you got to, deny it if you must, if it means holding on to me. But y'all are smarter than that. Y'all are wiser and you're better than that. Such radical means may be necessary, but it doesn't have to be the only option. What if we beheld our privilege like David did in this text that we just read? What if we lived each day putting privilege in its place back into the hands of whom it came from? Asking Him, seeking Him, entrusting our wills to Him. How am I to use this? How should I handle this? How should I honor you with this? Because, believe me, if we don't do this, privilege will ruin us. It will rob us of true joy. It lays its eyes on our souls and won't stop until it's extracted every bit of purpose from us. It will use us far more than we'll ever use it. And the damage it will do to us is far greater than any joy we could ever get from it. I'm thankful for God's Word that puts privilege in its proper place. I'm hopeful that we'll allow God's Spirit to guide and lead and use it for good rather than using us for evil. I want to leave you with this encouragement, this challenging word from the New Testament that gives so much advice as to how we ought to handle and leverage the privileges we are no doubt to receive this year. As for the rich, the privilege, that's me and you, that's all of us, as for the privilege in this present age, charge them not to be halting nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of privilege or riches, but on God who richly provides us. So who, who did it come from? From God, right? It came from Him. How can we truly enjoy it? Do good. Be rich in good works. Be generous and ready to share. Thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Don't allow privilege to become a stand-in for life. There's more to life. The life that we have from God, the life that is from His own hands, the blessings we've been given are a means of using and finding our true purpose. Don't ever let them take the place of your true purpose and identity as a child of God. Let me pray for you.
Father, thank you for putting privilege in its place. Lord, you're the one who gave us the privileges that we have. You're the one that blessed us like you have blessed us. Father, but more than those blessings, more than the privileges, is who we are. Lord, you've, been, you've given us a purpose to be your children, to honor you and to serve you, to glorify you and to enjoy a life as your own. Father, I pray we not be distracted by the privileges that we no doubt will receive this year, we no doubt already have, but help us to keep our eyes on you and pay attention to your calling over us, not just what our privilege may say we can do. Father, as we hear this last song, Lord, it's a powerful, powerful song about who we are and our purpose as your children. Lord, I pray that you would fill this house up with a spirit of worship that we all could surrender to who you say we are, to the children you have called us to be. Help us to put privilege in its place. Help us to lay it down, to offer it up, to use it before it uses us. Lord, if there's somebody in the house today that has wandered away and wants to come back to you and find their true purpose, their true identity, Lord, may you offer them an invitation today. We give you this time. We give you our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.